Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Last night, on the South Lawn of the White House, I profoundly accept this nomination for President of the United States. President Donald Trump capped off the Republican convention. And in his acceptance speech, he presented voters with a stark choice. At no time before have voters faced a clearer choice between two parties, two visions, two philosophies, or two agendas. He argued that his agenda would restore law and order and lead the country out of the pandemic. And he painted Joe Biden as a threat to the republic. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Friday, August 28th. Coming up on the show, how Republicans this week made the case for four more years of Trump and what the final stretch of the presidential campaign will look like. This episode is brought to you by C3 AI. C3 Generative AI enables rapid access to secure, traceable, hallucination-free insights from enterprise systems, all while using any LLM, helping enterprises turn the invisible into the obvious. Learn more at c3.ai. This year, Democrats and Republicans held their conventions back-to-back. So as the Democratic convention got underway last week, Republicans were watching and changing their plans based on what they saw. The Republicans thought the Democratic convention looked too much like a Zoom call. And frankly, the president thought it dragged a little bit. Our colleague Mike Bender covers the Trump campaign. So they made adjustments to move it along a little faster and went to great efforts to include crowds on uh, a few of the speeches just to give it a more a more traditional and, and kind of warmer feeling than the sort of cold boxes of a, of a conference call. That traditional look included a backdrop with Greek columns and rows of American flags. And to pull it off, Trump tapped his background as a reality TV star. They brought in a Hollywood production team, essentially, the folks who did The Apprentice for Trump uh, in New York City. Really? Yeah, that's right. Some of those folks who did The Apprentice were running the show, you know, the the logistics of it and the production of of this convention. And has it been smooth sailing for the Republicans? I, I think on the whole, they are pretty happy with how it went. There were some potholes along the way. Those potholes? mostly had to do with the way Trump used the White House as his convention stage and how he incorporated his official duties as president into the event. On Tuesday, specifically, he he pardoned an ex-con and participated in a naturalization ceremony during the day at the White House. And then they used that footage that night as part of the convention. Today, I'd like to express my gratitude to you, Mr. President, for hosting this naturalization ceremony here at the White House. The immigrants, you know, they didn't even know. They, were, they weren't even told that their ceremony was going to be featured, showcased, really, in a political convention that night. And that drew a lot of complaints from ethics watchdogs about the appropriate way to, to use a public building and taxpayer money for, I mean, quite specifically, a direct political event. The White House said it complied with all ethics laws. 
What message was the campaign trying to send with that video of Trump naturalizing the immigrants? They want to show him as a decisive and active leader. And, you know, this is, this is Trump being president. Um, I think that was a piece of it. I think there, there was a big effort this week to show the compassionate side of Trump. That effort to show Trump's compassionate side went beyond the naturalization ceremony and the pardon. A number of speakers described Trump in a much more personal way. What I also appreciate about the president is something most Americans never get to see, how much he truly cares about people. As I recovered, my phone rang again. It was President Trump calling to check on me. I was blown away. Here was the leader of the free world caring about my circumstance. I have seen firsthand many times the president comforting and encouraging a child who has lost a parent, a parent who has lost a child. And while the Republicans tried to humanize Trump, they also had a warning about his opponent, Joe Biden, and the Democrats. They want to steal your liberty, your freedom. They want to control what you see and think and believe so that they can control how you live. And I think that was encapsulated by Kim Guilfoyle, who was shouting in an empty hall. They want to enslave you to the weak, dependent, liberal, victim ideology to the point that you will not recognize this country or yourself. Another attack came from Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina. I think Haley was one of Trump's top surrogates this week. She did a very effective job and, and delivered a really harsh attack on Biden, you know, at one point saying, Last time, Joe's boss was Obama. This time, it would be Pelosi, Sanders, and the squad. Their vision for America is socialism, and we know that socialism has failed everywhere. So attacking Biden was one piece of it. But the convention was also a chance to shape the narrative around Trump's first term in office. Republicans focused on two of the defining events of this year. The first was Trump's handling of the pandemic. They want voters to walk away with the impression that Trump handled this as, as best as anyone could and that they responded as quickly as they could. The tone on that was really set on the first day. Donald Trump Jr., the president's oldest son, spent some time talking about his father's quick action to ban most travel from China. You know, they had some health professionals I thought was interesting. A, a woman, Amy Ford, who is a nurse who's traveled around the country handling coronavirus cases, praised the administration for increasing access to telemedicine. This glosses over the fact that 180,000 people have died in America and that we have, you know, a quarter of the globe's positive cases. Another big theme of the convention was law and order. In speech after speech, Republicans hammered home that they support the police and pledged to bring an end to violence in cities. Here's Vice President Mike Pence. The violence must stop, whether in Minneapolis, Portland, or Kenosha. Too many heroes have died defending our freedom to see Americans strike each other down. We will have law and order on the streets of this country for every American of every race and creed and color. And in his acceptance speech Thursday, President Trump echoed that message. 
There is violence and danger in the streets of many Democrat-run cities throughout America. This problem could easily be fixed. You know, which, which is an interesting sort of political argument to make here. The violence is happening on their watch, right? It's their term. This is their America. But what they're saying is that this is the fault of Democratic governors and mayors. So they're blaming local control for that, but then arguing for their reelection to handle it. You know, it'll be interesting to see if that, if that sort of logical leap makes sense to voters. When you think of this law and order message, who is it aimed at and why? It's aimed pretty directly and pretty specifically at the suburbs. The suburbs are a place where the Republicans who have won the presidency have done well. And Trump's numbers aren't anywhere near that. I've talked to many operatives, many strategists on the Republican side who say if Trump doesn't improve his standing in the suburbs, in battleground states, there is virtually no chance he can win re-election. That explains why he is going uh, so hard on, on the law and order message. He wants suburban moms taking their kids to soccer games to consider this and to pull the lever for, for Trump based on it. And what did Trump say he'd prioritize for the next four years if he gets reelected? He laid out a second-term agenda. He touched on uh, issues ranging from abortion and guns and judges to education and energy and, and the military. And putting a woman on the moon. Yeah, exactly. And he struck tones that came off as both optimistic and, and populist. The, the one line that stood out to me was when he said... They are coming after me because I am fighting for you. That's what's Why do you think that was an important moment? A lot of the appeal for Trump is the promise here that he is so far outside of the political establishment that he's going to put the needs and the concerns of normal American people ahead of everyone else, ahead of the swamp. Trump wins with that message when people believe he's fighting for them. He starts to crater in the polls when people think he's putting his own needs first. How would you say that Trump came across in delivering this speech? He delivered much of it in that kind of whispery voice he saves for speeches he considers to be his most serious. It's the voice he uses when he wants to project a presidential image. The president's speech, it was kind of roundly mocked as boring in the moment, but I think the intent there uh, in the speech and the rest of the week was to show that he can be disciplined when he wants to be. And when Donald Trump can, can show some discipline, Americans respond. The question for these next few months is really simply, can Trump stay on message? This week showed he can do it. What those next few months will look like for both presidential campaigns, that's after the break. There are fewer than 70 days until the election. And this year, campaigns will be getting their message out a little differently. Here's Deputy Politics Editor Emily Stevenson. I covered Donald Trump's campaign in 2016 for Reuters. And the last couple of months of the campaign, I, every other week, was on a plane. And the last few days of that campaign, 
we were flying to five cities a day to do packed rallies, one after the other. In 2020, we are not seeing those packed stadium rallies. And on the Democratic side especially, our reporters are basically not traveling with a candidate. Right now, it's been car trips to Delaware. Joe Biden has only held a handful of in-person events over the last several months. And while the Trump campaign has taken a different approach, it hasn't been holding those packed stadium rallies. Donald Trump has done sort of more public events. During the Democratic Convention Week, he went to Minnesota and he went to Wisconsin and he did these sort of airplane hangar speeches where there are small-ish crowds and he's speaking in front of Air Force One. The differences go well beyond the big events. The pandemic is also changing how the campaigns run their ground game. Normally, they'd be organizing armies of volunteers to hand out flyers and knock on doors. But this year needs a new approach. In a campaign when polls show most people know who they're going to vote for, a lot of the game for campaigns is making sure that the people who support you actually turn out and vote. So normally that involves a lot of contacting people in person. Republicans have been more willing to do that in-person campaigning than Democrats have been. But people don't necessarily want to do the knocking on doors. People are worried about getting sick. And people don't always necessarily want to open their doors to strangers right now. So Democrats are leaning more into the kind of digital ways of contacting people. Um, There's more texting. There has always been phone banking. And there will continue to be phone banking. And there will continue to be presidential debates starting in late September. And Emily says, this year, those debates will be more consequential than ever. The debates take on so much more weight in this environment because the campaigns can't do the same number of in-person events or the same size of in-person events that they would do in a normal year. So there just aren't as many opportunities to get national attention. The conventions and then the debates are the big set pieces that a lot of the country will pay attention to. A recent Wall Street Journal poll shows Biden with about a nine-point lead over Trump. Whether Biden can keep that lead will depend on what voters prioritize in November. Our polling showed some areas of strength for President Trump, he consistently leads on the question of who would do a better job with the economy. And in a normal election year, the question of who would do a better job with the economy is usually a huge determinant of who's going to be the next president. Biden has led President Trump on the question of who would do a better job handling the coronavirus pandemic. And the pandemic is a big issue in people's minds right now. And that may turn out to be the bigger question for people. That's all for today, Friday, August 28th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Ryan Knutson and me, Kate Leinbaugh. The show's made by Gerard Cole, Pia Godkari, Annie Minoff, Afif Nasuli, Ricky Nevetsky, Caitlin O'Keefe, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Annie Rose Strasser, and Rob Zipko. Our show is engineered by Griffin Tanner and Nathan Singapak with help from Sam Baer. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Peter Leonard, Emma Munger, So Wiley, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasulka and Joy Crane. Thanks for listening. 
See you Monday.